With the George Floyd protests sweeping the nation, college athletes and college coaches showed yet again that they're not interested in sticking to sports. Virginia Tech has laid out its path to a full fall football season, while UVA football saw a player defect to the rival Hokies. And while we may not see the major leaguers play this summer, you can still grab your peanuts and Cracker Jack for some baseball. We'll talk about all that and much more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 12 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper. David is off this week, but fear not, I haven't been left unattended. Sports editor Michael Phillips, also the paper's Washington Redskins beat writer, is here with me for today's show. Michael, thanks for doing this. Great to be here. Now, we did enter into phase two of the governor's plan to reopen the Commonwealth. So uh, with this big or small step towards getting back to normal, how did the Phillips family celebrate? <laughs> we threw a traditional phase two party, yeah. Uh, <laughs> with, with, with restaurants at 50%, uh, we took 50% of ourselves out to a restaurant. So I, I think it was <laughs> we, we appropriately did our part. I, I hope it was the adults. It was the adults. <laughs> Spoiler, it was the adults. <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, my wife and I celebrated our, our wedding anniversary last week, and one of the things we did was bring in dinner from uh, the restaurant that catered our wedding two years ago. So that was uh, a double celebration, I guess, of one, the, the anniversary, and two, the fact that, like I said, we're, we're maybe a, a step closer to doing things in a, in a normal, more traditional way. Okay, my friends down the street did the very best, though. They've got an RV, and uh, you know when you when you get takeout, by the time it gets back to your house, it's it's not quite as good. So they they drop they drove their RV to the restaurant, um, got takeout, and just set up the table right there in the RV, so they were able to eat it hot off the grill. That that is phenomenal. That might Genius. be. I mean, you may get into a situation where we have to rent. RVs just for takeout dinners because that's that sounds really good. Uh, I don't know if I would drive home afterward. I might eat my meal and then lay down in my RV and sleep in the parking lot that night. But you can do that. Yeah, you have so many options in the RV world. <laughs> <laughs> now it's been an eventful week all across the nation, including there in, in Richmond and uh, here in Charlottesville, all around the Commonwealth. We're getting a better picture of, of what college sports may look like in the fall and. Uh, universities, conferences, the NCA continue with their COVID plans, but that actually all took a backseat this week to the George Floyd protests across the country. Uh, Floyd's death in the custody of Minneapolis police has triggered protests in cities large and small all over America. And in those marches, what we've seen sometimes at the front uh, have been college athletes. And Michael, let's start there because here in the Commonwealth, we've seen Many, many prominent coaches, many, many uh, college athletes take a very vocal role in all this. Absolutely. And, and so you start in Richmond, where VCU is an integral part of the city, right in the middle of downtown, certainly. It, both embedded with all this and you know, many VCU area businesses uh, have, have shut down for the week uh, just because of the protests, uh, you know, clearing the streets uh, and making sure that the people are safe out there. So. Uh, you know, very much if, if you're at VCU, you're you're a part of the Richmond community. And, uh, you know, you, obviously the exact same goes for UVA and Tech. You couldn't have a Charlottesville without UVA. Uh, and Tech is Blacksburg, you know. And and so what we see is, you know, these are 
you know, the defining businesses in their towns, so to speak, and, and you know, college educations are big business. I've seen the price tags. Um, and so, you know, th- these are the groups taking the lead who feel like, you know, they have the loudest voices. And uh, I, I think deservedly so, you know, they're the thought leaders in the community. And we call on them to be leaders now in this time. Yeah, and we saw this uh, 804 Coaches for Change. That was a a group of coaches started by high school coaches there in the Richmond area. But um, it turned out over 100 high school coaches, AAU coaches, college coaches. You mentioned VCU. Mike Rhodes was there. He was a part of that event uh, Saturday morning where they marched, I believe, from the Arthur Ashe statue uh, down to the controversial Lee statue down Monument Avenue. Uh, Jason Williford, a Richmond native, who he's the – UVA men's basketball associate head coach, the the number two for Tony Bennett. Uh, he was out there and, and speaking at, at, at that event. So, you know, we've seen coaches, um, black and white coaches and coaches from every sport step up and, and really uh, have their voice heard either as sort of a, a leader uh, and some just lending their support. And, and I think both angles are, are probably important. Yeah, we, we've been here before. Um, you know, there have certainly been incidents of police brutality. There have been protests about those. There have been high profile incidents of police brutality. There have been high profile trials. Uh, the difference this time is it feels like there's no attempt uh, to moderate the, the conversation at all. You know, in the past, even, you know, Colin Kaepernick's probably your most recent example. But, you know, that happens. And, you know, coaches, administrators kind of send the word on down to their kids like, hey, you know, let's lay low. Let's not say anything controversial here. Uh, let's, let's not you know, go too deep in this. You're welcome to have an opinion. You're welcome to write a letter to your congressperson. Let's not go crazy here. And, and this time, you know, we, we, it feels like we've reached that tipping point uh, where everybody does get to you know, speak as loudly as they want to and as passionately as they want to. And I, I think that makes for a richer, fuller conversation for sure. You know, when, when we're hearing the authentic thoughts and, and feelings of these people, a lot of whom have, have kept these thoughts to themselves for a very long time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and I think one of the differences, because I know people have sort of downplayed the the statements put out by coaches, right? Every coach puts out a statement and they lend their support. They, they say why it's important to them. And I think some people kind of felt like, ah, they're, they're just doing what they have to do. But to me, you know, when I see Tony Bennett put out a statement, um, a pretty, you know, emotional statement, he included the phrase, you know, my mind and heart are telling me that as a white man, talk is cheap. Um, those are That's not a, a PR press release, right? That's a, a statement. That's what he wanted people to know. Bronco Mendenhall put out a statement, uh, Mike Young, and coaches all over put out these statements. And I think more important than what they said I think it did open the door in a sense for their athletes to go ahead and and get involved and voice their opinion and be part of the movement. Because to your point, you know, in, in other times when there's been controversial issues, you do get the sense that some people are like, okay, you know, whatever we think about this, let's just lay low and, and see where it goes. And um, the fact that all these college coaches came out and put out statements and put their name in their face in support of the movement, I think that opened the door for their athletes to then say, okay, coach has my back. I can go ahead and say what I want to say. And and we've seen that. We've seen uh, Charles Snowden, the UVA linebacker, uh, 
you know, in protests in D.C. We've seen Nick Jackson, the freshman linebacker from UVA, leading an event down in Atlanta, um, you know, no small town, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and here's a kid who's a freshman in college, and he led a, a pretty major event down there. I think the coaches have opened the door, and I think we're starting to see that these kids that schools certainly want to protect and and maybe they're protected from, from us or from saying the wrong thing in the media – when it's important, these people have important things to say. They absolutely do. And they have life experiences that, that you and I need to hear about uh, and hear from to add to this conversation. And uh, yeah, you, I think of the you know conversation we had a few weeks ago about, you know, David Teal was in on this too, about, you know, allowing them to monetize their name and their image. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like this, this could be an extent considered an extension on that to where it was, it was for so long frowned upon, for them to have opinions um, that this is kind of another way they're allowed to use that name and likeness um, that we really haven't seen before. It's uncharted territory. And, you know, you, you can have your thoughts and opinions about them being a Nike commercials. um, But I'm not here to have a a debate about whether or not they should be allowed to have political opinions. They're humans. They should be allowed to. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you think about college and, and you think about kind of what we grew up in the history books of, you know, what college was in the 60s and, and revolution and all those things. And a lot of that is maybe lost in the college scene today. And certainly on the athletic front, to your point, I think because it's such a big business, there is almost a sense of like, hey, yeah, you're a college student, but let's focus more on your job here as an athlete. And then, oh, by the way, we're not going to pay you for your job here as an athlete, but still don't get involved in some of that other college free thought kind of stuff. And um, I think it all does spiral together and in a good way. I I think the change that is coming obviously is necessary. And to see athletes uh, take the lead in some of these situations, to see athletes voice their opinion, to to see them uh, have their stories heard. And again, I, I do think that it was important for the coaches and the ADs and the leaders to set the tone of saying, I'm going to come out in support, not because my voice is so important, but because I want my athletes to know. And, and we've also heard about these coaches and, you know, and Justin Fuente, he, he caught some kind of flack for this, but they put out a statement from the entire program. But his rationale was he had a team meeting and he wanted to meet with the team. He wanted to get together. They, he wanted them to have one voice, not to, not to mute them or, or silence anybody. Um, but for them to know that, Hey, we're in this together. You have support now go out and, and, and do what you're going to do. And, uh, I think that leadership at this time is really important. No doubt. I, I'm, ex- and I'm also excited to hear you spin some yarns about college in the sixties and the good old days, man, that, <laughs> that, that, that teal and barber is going to be a hit. Well, I was going to say, I'm going to need my usual co-host back for that, because as I referenced, my knowledge there comes from the history books and and documentaries, but uh, I believe my normal co-host might be able to fill us in with some uh, exciting anecdotes, if you will. uh, Better than your current co-host. Yeah. Well, we have our own college stories, but I don't know that they're podcast appropriate necessarily. Now, I don't think they prove a lot of political points either. Cert- certainly not. No. Uh, now, as we talk about this and, and, and the coaches and the athletes and their involvement, that brings us to our first question of the day. Let's take it or leave it. If you were an African-American college athlete hearing your coach make a public statement 
in support of the protests and the movement, would it matter to you? Take it or leave it. Michael. Of course it matters. It, you know, it matters immensely. And, I, you know, I, I think we're going to see it really impact this the recruiting scene over the next two to four years. That if, if you're a coach that is perceived as being on the wrong side of this issue or, or an, an impermissive side of this issue in terms of players speaking out, I think it's going to be very difficult to conduct business. And I think coaches understand that. Uh, you you're going into a high school's living room and telling that kid and his parents, I'm going to take care of you and you know, look after you and essentially act as your parent for four years. I think the parents need to know where you stand on this. And I think they're going to ask where you stand on this. I think you better have a darn good answer for where you stand on this. Mike. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that maybe the statement itself isn't as important, but Michael, how loud would it ring if you were the one coach that didn't, if you were the one coach that didn't make a statement you know, in your in your state, in your area, in your league, um, to your point, I think that's where it would be noticed. And, you know, you need to make a statement. Yeah, that's part of the deal. But the leave it part of this for me is it's not about the statement. The kids in the locker room know what their coaches are about. And, and moments like this reveal it uh, for the kids who maybe don't or were on the fence. I think we've seen, uh, and there's obviously going to be a lot more to come out, but the situation at Iowa and what's going on there and, and the culture, um, some of the things there that are coming out from that locker room. So my point is athletes know about their coaches, and now this is another side or another dimension that is important. It's important to the athletes. It's important to their families. Uh, it's important to fans and community. And I think that while the statement, yes, is important, I think what's most important is going to be what these coaches reveal to their athletes, those athletes are going to share with their younger siblings, uh, with their fellow athletes back in their high school, with their high school coach. Um, and you are going to see, to your point, uh, a, a trickle down effect or a ripple effect in a couple of years of, you know, hey, this was a coach that I really believe in and really supported me versus, yeah, I wouldn't give him five stars on my rating it's going to make a difference. And, and in that regard, it's, it's going to have a, an effect down the line. Now, the other story that is still consuming the nation and, and rightfully so is our ongoing fight against COVID-19 here in Virginia. We mentioned this, we've moved into phase two, um, a little, little more leniency, a little, uh, more allowance for how many people can get together, what kind of businesses can open, uh, what kind of activities we're getting back to, and it's kind of opened the door here for college sports to resume a bit. While while UVA is still keeping its athletes off campus for now, Virginia Tech started voluntary football workouts this week. Uh, they're using the team's Beamer, Beamer Barn, the, the indoor facility named for Frank Beamer, the former coach. And actually what they've done is they've brought the weight room equipment into the Beamer Barn because it allows for more proper spacing and social distancing, better control of who's coming in and out. Uh, you know, so steps like that are being taken. They're going to monitor the athletes. They haven't announced any plans right now for testing per se. We've seen some of the schools in the ACC that have come back that have actually tested all their athletes before workouts begin. Um, but this is, I guess, the right first step. If, you, if you're going to play football in the fall, which the schools seem to believe they're going to be able to, you have to get going at some point, don't you? You do have to get going. And I'll, I'll take this one head on, Mike. I, I, you know, college 
campuses should be safe places this fall. And, and, you know, I I think if I would rather have kids on college campuses than at their homes. I think learning remotely, you you don't get as much. You don't get that college experience. And I I think what we know, and admittedly, we don't know everything, but what we know research-wise is that, you know, if you're young and you you contract the coronavirus, you're extremely likely to recover. The statistics are overwhelmingly in your favor. Now, that doesn't mean everybody on a college campus is between the ages of 18 and 22. So we we, got to be a little bit careful about that. These kids are going to go home eventually, etc. But I, I am absolutely in favor of college kids being on a college campus and getting a college experience. And I think college athletics are a big part of that. I hope they open intramural sports too, and not just, you know, not just varsity football. But I, I think there's a lot to be gained from young people being active and being part of a team. So I, I would say a return to normalcy here is is very welcome, not just as a guy who enjoys watching college sports, but but a guy who knows there is great value in college students playing organized sports as well. Now, Virginia Tech, we got a little bit of insight into what they're planning. They had that coaches caravan event. They did it virtually, allowed boosters and fans to kind of ask questions to and interact and hear from Justin Fuente, Whit Babcock, uh, a couple of the assistant coaches. And the plan that they laid out basically was, hey, voluntary workouts, that's conditioning, running, uh, it's work without a football, non-sport specific work. Uh, That begins here in June. They're talking about a six to eight week, uh, essentially fall camp that starts in July, Um, almost like a pro camp that's going to get these guys kind of ready, make up for what they lost in the spring. And the plan right now, according to Whit Babcock, is to start the season on time. Uh, and to play a full season, to play 12 full games. And uh, Michael, it wasn't that long ago that that seemed kind of far-fetched. It it seems a little more realistic now, doesn't it? Three months ago, Mike Barber, was March 10th. Do you remember where you were on March 10th? (laughs) I I do. I was in Greensboro, North North Carolina. That was three months ago. You were in Greensboro, North Carolina, getting ready to tip off basketball. Three months from now will be the week after the first week of the college football season. So we'll be a couple days after the the scheduled first game. Think about how much has changed in the last three months. Think about how much is going to change in the next three months, and not all of it good either. Uh, It's 2020, the year that just relentlessly attacks us around every turn. But you, you think about how far we've come in three months, how far we can go in three months. It's almost foolish to speculate as to where we'll be then, but I, I do feel like it's okay to bet on humanity. In this case, I think we'll be in a better place in three months than we were, uh, than we are today. I think it's okay to continue to preparations for a season. Uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but to say it is foolish to project three months out where science is going to be, but, but let's be optimistic. Let's get ready for a football season, uh, and hopefully they'll be able, they'll be ready to deliver us one when we get there. Yeah, well said. I mean, a month ago, that would have seemed to me outlandish, but uh, it it seems at least worth talking about and planning for and preparing for. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting because obviously we've seen a a spike in cases uh, since things reopened and we had the the holiday weekend. And I'm sure based on just science and then politics has nothing to do with it, but the the fallout from the protests, there will be a a spike in cases. But uh, overall, with the trend of where things are headed. Um, it's kind of remarkable to, to sit here and think that we're now having this conversation. And part of the conversation and, and part of what we heard from Whit Babcock during that coaches caravan event 
is the conversation of what to do with the fans, because that's a whole separate issue, right? That's a whole different thing to tackle. You can talk about how can you safely get your athletes on campus? How can you keep them safe? How can you keep your staff safe, your, your coaches, your trainers, uh, your medical people, your cafeteria workers? You can come up with a plan. It's daunting, but that's a small group. Um, now we're talking about the fans and the stadium and, and what can be done there. And Virginia Tech put out a statement saying, in effect, if the season started today, you couldn't have a full lane stadium. The, the virus is still too prevalent. We don't know enough. Um, the risk of spread is too great. Obviously, the restrictions alone from from the Commonwealth where we are, um, but it left open the door and it said, you know, as we write today, that's the the circumstances, leaving the door open for what could be in the fall. And what Babcock said, they're working in his office on three models. There's the model of no fans, which he said bluntly he, he doesn't like. He, that's the worst case scenario. But there's a model to work on with no fans in the stadium for games. Uh, there's a model to work on with partial, some fans, right? If you're 50%, 40%, 60%, whatever the number is, uh, less than full capacity. And then they're working on the, the plan, which is, I hope, <laughs> in existence already for, for full fans, for a normal season. So when you think about that, Michael, can you picture college football in the fall being played in empty stadiums? Yes, I can. And, and I, I just don't have the time of day for the people who say, oh, well, you know, you're better off not playing sports if there won't be fans. What, what a what a self-centered approach. Like the only thing that possibly matters is you getting to attend the football game. There are benefits for people other than you, the attendee of the football game. There are benefits for these kids. There are benefits for the teams. Uh, and, you know, I, I think even if the games weren't televised, there would still be benefit for these teams to, to be getting together and playing football as long as it was deemed medically safe to do so. Now, I'm, I'm sure it will be on TV, of course. It'll be on the ACC <laughs> network. You won't, you won't get to see it. You'll have I, I won't see any of that. <laughs> uh, but, but for those who do get to see it, yeah, I, I think we have to understand this, this is a new world. This is going to be a weird year. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that could potentially include no fans or extremely limited fans in the stands. And, and I think it's, it's a good time to make peace with that. Uh, and be okay with that. It is still college football. You know, I, you know, Rutgers plays college football. I don't think a fan has attended one of those games in years. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I can take you back to my undergrad days and tell you exactly what it's like to be at a college football <laughs> game with no fans. It's called the second half of every Rutgers game during my freshman and sophomore year. But yeah, and, and I think another great point that you make there is it's if the NCAA model is still that it's about the student athlete and if playing sports and, and this pursuit is what's good for student athletes, then why does it matter if there's somebody in the stands munching on a turkey leg or hanging out on the hill? Um, why do those things matter in the big picture? I mean, certainly they add something. They add to the atmosphere. Certainly it's part of the experiences playing in big stadiums. It's why we hear the FCS programs talk about enjoying going and, and playing in the, in the FBS stadiums in front of those big crowds. But it's supposed to be about the athletes. It's supposed to be about giving them a chance to compete. That has to be priority one, two, and three, A, B, and C, is to get these games played and the season played safely and then figure out from there what else you can do. And to your point about the television, I mean, we just saw, what, 100,000-something people tune in to watch people play video game football. We're seeing people <laughs> staying up and watching baseball in, in Korea. Um, we've seen, you know, again, virtual sports, all sorts of options. People are clamoring for this. So 
yes, it'll be a little weird if you play in an empty stadium. Yes, the NCA or the conferences are going to have to come up with some rules for how you're going to handle crowd noise. Are you allowed to pump in crowd noise to, to make the atmosphere better? If so, are there limitations? Is it whoever has the best speaker system now has the best home field advantage? I, I think there's going to have to be some some regulation there. Um, you know, it could be as simple as uh, 1970s sitcom style laugh tracks. Maybe the, the stadium and the game is played in silence and the TV crew producing it adds the the laugh track applause line uh, back in the studio. Um, so I think there's things that need to be worked on, but the idea that it's better to just scrap it if you can't have fans, to me, that's just stupid. I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, uh, you know, I I think we'll see football this this fall. I, I really do. I, I think we're going to see football. And that that's the fall for right now, the, the sport we can fret over is Major League Baseball, <laughs> where the players and the owners are continuing their feud. The longer it goes, it seems less and less likely that there'll be pro ball this summer. The latest news that Players Association has made a proposal. Uh, it's an 89-game season. Money-wise, it's a full prorated share of their salary. In other words, take what they would have made over 162 and prorate it over what they play. It also includes expanded playoffs and, and some other details. It's 25 games fewer than their fewer proposals, so they're moving closer to, to what the owners are looking for. But as we've learned in the past with baseball, the, the union, the owners, you never know where that's going to go. Two of the top college circuits, the Cape Cod League, which is kind of considered the, the number one uh, summer baseball league, the Valley League here locally, which is considered a really high-level league for college players to compete in the summer. Uh, they won't be playing because of the spread of COVID. But that doesn't mean there isn't going to be any baseball this summer. And some smaller leagues have kind of stepped up to to fill the void. And, and one of them is right there in, in Richmond, uh, Richmond area in the Piedmont League. And, Michael, I think that's going to be a situation where – because of its design, that league has a chance to flourish in these kind of unfortunate circumstances. Yeah, you know, you got a lot of very talented kids staying at home, and I think local is absolutely the way to go. Everybody understands that. Everybody sees that. Uh, and so, you know, you got these local kids organizing leagues, and, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for uh, maybe kids who would not get an invite to the Cape Cod League uh, to, to face some of that talent. So I, I think that's uh, that's a cool deal for them, certainly. And uh, goodness, you know, these these guys need to stay fresh. Uh, you know, I, the college baseball season was, you know, almost completely wiped out. And, you know, you look at it, at, at, you know, that's a lot of games, uh, you know, a lot of time they they would have spent playing baseball. So I, I think keeping everybody fresh is, is a great goal. And uh, I'm kind of excited to see them. Uh, you know, if, if they uh, if they allow folks to go out and watch, uh, I'd certainly uh, grab my peanuts and Cracker Jacks and, uh, and go watch some top talent here. Yeah, and another one, um, and I wrote an article about this this past week. At, uh, you can find it at richmond.com if you didn't see it in, in the print edition. But um, another one is the Rockham County Baseball League, and that's back in the Shenandoah Valley. It's actually one of the oldest continuous-running baseball leagues in America. Um, you know, it, its history goes back to, I want to say 19, I don't have it in front of me right now, I want to say 1924. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, what makes these leagues suited for this is their model, right? When you <clears throat> when you think about the Cape, you think about host families. You're going to go somewhere far away. You're going to live with a host family. Well, it's very difficult to do the host family thing right now. Host families don't want to take strangers into their home uh, not knowing their health backgrounds. Athletes don't want to go into a home they don't know, not knowing the health situation there. 
People don't want to be far away from their families uh, while this is going on. So the model of college summer baseball in those leagues, you know, isn't a great fit. You think about the Northwest League and um, long bus trips, sometimes plane trips to get to games and travel is something that everybody's trying to um, limit and cut down on. And, you know, being on a bus is is not social distancing, right? (laughs) Being in an airplane is not social distancing. So what you're seeing is these leagues and a couple have popped up. Northern Virginia is is got a league that's going to have a number of UVA players in it. Uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, basically where you find the talent, kids are staying home and the leagues are telling them, Hey, don't even carpool to the stadium with your buddy. Drive yourself to the game. Come here solo. Don't share equipment. Don't spit seeds. Don't high five. Let's not post game handshake. Let's do everything we can do to see if we can't have a summer of baseball. And to your point, it's going to create some nice matchups in terms of, no, it's not all the top flight talent that gathers in the Cape, but you're going to get some kids who are going to get a chance to prove themselves against some talent that they might not normally face. And I think that's going to be fun. I think you're going to see communities, if they're able to open up for fans, which obviously is still a question. We just talked about that with football. The baseball leagues are are not sure yet how they want to handle that. But if they're able to open up for fans, I think you're going to see fans turn out for these games because, hey, let's face it, everybody's a little star for sports right now. And, you know, I, I spent 10 years in Harrisonburg working the newspaper there, and I had the chance to be around that, that RCBL, that county league. And a lot of their ballparks are either high school or community fields, and they're wide open, right? They're, they're not grandstands. They're not uh, stadiums with um, concierge and, and breezeways and all that. They're just, they're just fields out often in the middle of larger fields. And that's pretty conducive for social distancing and for getting out. And I mean, we used to see people kind of pull their pickup truck, drop the flatbed, sit there and uh, be out in left field and watch, you know, people hang on the fence in right field. And um, I think it's got a chance to be a really good scene this summer. If people do it smart, if if people uh, follow the rules and, and, and make good choices, I think it's got a chance to be a really good kind of community sporting scene where you're out watching some baseball, you're outside and, and you're, and you're being safe. So I'm, I'm personally looking forward to it. You think they can get Mike Trout? You know, I don't, I think that's probably where the, the line is drawn on talent. Um, yeah. I think you'll see some potential. I don't think he'll be busy. He won't be busy. Unfortunately, I, I have a bad feeling you're right, but um, yeah, I, I think you're going to see uh, you know, a lot of these leagues are normally populated like the RCBL um, a lot of D2 D3 players, they're going to have a lot more D1 players that are going to match up with those kids. And, um, you know, the, the same thing for that Piedmont League. And um, Dallas Jackson, who plays at JMU, he's a, a Richmond area kid and uh, started at Lee Davis High School. He was on his way to the Cape this summer. So that's the level of talent he is. He had played in the Piedmont League the past two years. He's going to be back in the Piedmont League this year. So you're going to get a lot of good players. Uh, you're going to get a lot of local players, and everyone loves to see their local athletes. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I thought I thought it was interesting. Brian O'Connor, the UVA baseball coach, told me um, essentially that the history of it has always been, you know, the college baseball coach said, his quote was, this is where you're going to play, and you're going to play all summer because that's part of your development. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, that used to be how it was. And Brian said, hey, this summer – that's out the window. It's going to be up to you to, to find a place close to home if you feel comfortable, if you feel safe. None of these coaches want to be seen as 
demanding that their athletes do something that then puts them in a dangerous spot. Uh, but I think these leagues have found a model and, and found a way to maybe get this done that, that is smart and, and isn't dangerous. So I know we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind I going out and watching hope. a game. I hope what you hope. I hope some kid from, you know, who goes to Radford or a D3 school somewhere, he just lights up these good kids and, you know, get, gets his look that he wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Yeah, no, that's definitely uh, that's definitely the dream right there is some D3 kid to go yard on a future MLB prospect. Uh, and that brings us to our next question of the day. It's who you got. Thanks, Mike. The latest feud between the rich, the players in baseball or the owners in baseball? And I always side with the players, I guess because they're less rich. Um, it is it is a feud between two sides that maybe are a little hard to, to root for in these issues, but... Um, you know, I, I I would pick a third. I, I would I would side with the fans if that was an option. I want these rich and richer to get together and work it out because I think in some model having baseball back on the major league level would be kind of like we just talked about. I think it would be good for people. Why can't the players organize themselves? Okay, follow. Hang with me on this for a second. If you're playing baseball but there are no fans, then then. You don't. The cities don't matter to an extent. Everybody's got their home team that they root for, uh, but but it's less relevant. Certainly, you think about the NBA for sure. Like you know, you're rooting for players. You're not rooting for teams. And I don't think baseball's all the way to that. But if, if it's clear nothing's going to get done, I think the top call you know call your shot. You know, 150 players need to get together. So we're going to form six super teams. We're all going to go down to you know Phoenix, the spring training complex. And we're going to organize a little league of, of super teams. It's, it's you know all star game every night. Uh, we're going to you know, we're going to donate the money to charity or whatever. We're going to baseball on TV every night. Your favorite players mic'd up playing against each other. All star matchups. Just do that. You've got power. You're the players. People love watching you. Do that. We can still have baseball. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a barnstorming style league and and seeing some of those big names. And we'll see where it all goes. I, I, certainly, I have a a view of baseball and, and their labor issues that cost me uh, maybe Don Mattingly's best season as a Yankee fan. So I'm not optimistic, but we'll see how it ends up. And speaking of ends up, that brings us to our odds and ends here uh, as we get close to the end of, of today's episode. And we'll start with an odd one. UVA's starting long snapper on punts from last season. He's decided to transfer out of the program. He's uh, That's not uncommon. Very, it happens all standard. the time. Yeah, happens all the time until you consider – his destination. Enzo Anthony, who was the Cavaliers starting long snapper on all their punts uh, in every game, except the one game they didn't have to punt in. He's transferring to, wait for it, Virginia Tech, UVA's biggest rival. Michael, that's not normal, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had a great headline on this in the the print edition of the Times-Dispatch on on your story. It was uh, uh, Hokies real end snapper. Oh, very Uh, good. Yeah, no, no, tip of the hat to our, to our sports desk on that one. It's funny, man. I I like the idea of a rivalry built around a long snapper. This, you know, everybody going at the long snapper a little hard, chipping at him during the Commonwealth Cup. Um, how many years was did he snap for UVA? Just one, right? Yep. He's got three years of eligibility left. We'll probably have to sit out this season. I'm actually hoping to speak yeah. to him later today. In play, though, that he could be a four-year Commonwealth Cup winner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and if you consider the, the transfer year, 
um, if Virginia Tech resumes its form in that rivalry, I mean, he could be on the winning side five times in a row, despite there yeah, not well, being. I'm not, a- I'm not counting this year though, because his long snapping was not part of the victory. I, I think he's got to be a contributor for it to count. That seems fair. That seems fair. So that was that was the good news for Virginia Tech to to steal away, and and this was a highly rated long snapping prospect. He was one of the top long snapping prospects uh, in the country out of Florida. The bad news for Virginia Tech on the football side was one of their top recruits in their income, their next class, uh, Texas four-star wide receiver, Latrell Neville. He's decommitted. He is the second major Texas recruit to decommit from the Hokies here recently. And, you know, they spent a lot of time and effort and publicity on this uh, Texas to VT movement and and going out to the Lone Star State and working their connections. And they got two really big commitments from the quarterback and the wide receiver. And now neither of them is coming. And it feels a little bit like a waste of time now, doesn't it? Yeah, this, this isn't good, man. Fuente needs a W. He needs to put a W on the board. I don't know how he does it. I, I guess he got the long snapper, so maybe that's his W. But, <laughs> you know, this this is a guy who I, I'm, I'm not throwing in the towel on Justin Fuente. Don't hear that. But I am saying he's a dude who badly needs a W. And if you can't get it in recruiting, you have to get it on the field. And I, I think that's a dicey proposition this year as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I thought going in, this was going to be a, a kind of make or break year for Justin, regardless of how last season went, regardless of how recruiting went. I think um, just the arc of the program, they need to have a good year. Now, I think they've got some pieces in place, and we'll get more into that in, in some later episodes. But I think they've got some pieces in place to potentially be good. I think they've got some harder competition uh, this season than maybe we're used to in the Coastal, which won't be quite as god-awful as maybe it's been. But um, it's definitely going to be a, a major year for Fuente, and and certainly losing these recruits doesn't, doesn't help the optics. And last, before we get out of here, we had a, a passing in the state of Brad Babcock, the former JMU baseball coach and administrator, the man who led JMU to the College World Series, the first uh, Commonwealth baseball team to reach the College World Series. He passed away this week. He's the father of Virginia Tech AD Whit Babcock. And Brad Babcock is a huge, huge name in college baseball in this state. You know, I, I loved hearing your guys' stories about him, reading all the stories about him. It's cool. To, you know, I, I'm not from here, and, and, and obviously I didn't overlap with him at all you know, time-wise, it's cool to hear stories about cool people. Uh, and baseball produces cool people. You and I are both baseball guys. You know that. Like, baseball dudes are awesome. So it's always fun to, to hear about an awesome baseball dude. Yeah, David Teal had a great anecdote of covering Brad when, when David, I believe he was still in college, or he might have just been starting out, and, and uh, he was interviewing Brad Babcock, and Brad leaned over and spit tobacco juice right on David's sneaker. And the two kind of looked at each other, and and it became pretty clear that Brad had had some pretty good aim, and and also some ability to intimidate. So, uh, yeah, he was. You know, I had the chance to know him again, going back to my my ten years in Harrisonburg, and um, he was just a straight shooter, right? He was one of those guys who um, he wasn't going to tell you what you wanted to hear, and he wasn't going to polish things for you. Um, he was going to give it to you straight, and and then you do what you will with that, and. Um, I think us in the media, we appreciate that more than coaches realize. Like we don't need the polish of, you know, maybe TV does, but at least for a newspaper guy, I don't need the polished soundbite. I don't need the perfectly worded, perfectly executed statement. 
I need the information. I need the truth. I need the reality. And if there was one guy in college baseball and in college athletics when I was covering JMU that would give you the straight facts, it was Brad Babcock. So rest in peace. Well, to J- a, a- JMU produces those guys because uh, Mickey Matthews is a JMU guy too. We <laughs> ran a column by him the other day. He's one of the all-time great characters too. Covering Mickey and Brad at the same time, I probably was spoiled at the beginning of my career because no I, had guys, I had guys who did not hold back and who did not care what you thought about what they were telling you. So, uh, <laughs> yes, rest in peace to Brad Babcock, a, a true uh, baseball icon, really, in Virginia. And with that, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts. Just find the RTD podcast channel and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times Dispatch. With everything going on in in the world and in the Commonwealth, it's more important than ever to have your support. You can find special promotional offers, including a sports only option at richmond.com online now. Today's show was produced, as always, by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times Dispatch and richmond.com. For Michael Phillips, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and I again in two weeks. Music.